good morning, everyone, and a very warm welcome to you all. Uh, for those of you in the building and those of you who are watching online, it's great uh, that you've been able to join us this morning. A special welcome if you're new or if you're visiting. Uh, it's great to have you with us. Uh, please do uh, grab me afterwards. Uh, it'll be great to uh, find out a little bit about you and uh, to, uh, to welcome you here properly uh, over tea and coffee at the end of the service. Uh, as we journey through the service, um, we will be continuing our series uh, looking at uh, 1 John, uh, and we'll be uh, looking at what it means uh, for us to be children uh, of God. So before we start uh, our service this morning, uh, let's just uh, still our hearts, uh, let's pray, uh, and uh, be mindful that uh, we offer this time uh, to uh, the Lord our God. So let us pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we uh, do thank you that we can gather together as your people. I thank you that uh, we gather around the truth of what you have done for us in and through the Lord Jesus. Uh, Father, I pray that uh, our hearts and our minds uh, would be fixed upon that truth as we journey through the service. Uh, Help us put down the distractions and help us uh, to raise our eyes and keep them fixed upon you. Uh, We thank you for your goodness uh, this week. We thank you for uh, young baby Henry. I pray that uh, uh, you would uh, just bless James and Catherine. I pray that uh, your hand of protection would be upon them. Uh, We do pray that uh, uh, you would uh, bring Henry uh, to yourself in the fullness of time. Might you know the sweetness of what it is to be a child of God. So be with us this, uh, this morning. Uh, speak to us by your spirit and through your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come to you in prayer, please show us your glory. We want to see you to know you for the holy, righteous, and perfect Lord that you are, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, showing mercy and grace to all who come to you through your Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We worship you. Lord, we thank you for the promise you made that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of your glory as the waters cover the sea. Your purposes are sure and certain, and nothing can stand in the way of you fulfilling all you have planned for us and for this world. Thank you for the privilege of joining in your work, not only here but around the world, as you extend your kingdom to those who do not yet know you. Thank you for our many mission partners. In particular, this morning, we remember Simon Howard, Dave Green, and Christophine Goss, and the team in Eswatini. Bless them as they seek to be a blessing to those in that country. We pray especially for Dave and his growing vision of how you would use him in full-time missionary service. We pray for Pastor Julian and Lydia Vasily in Romania. We give you praise for for providing resources to help those suffering from the war in Ukraine. Please provide wisdom for Yulian, Lydia, and their family to know which people from Ukraine to support and the best way to do that. Please give wisdom to Julia and the church in Rennie and use them to bless the many families and individuals they support. 
Have your hand on the teams visiting from Norway, the U.S., and LCBC, that their time would be fruitful in various ways of practical support, and that these visits would be encouraging. We ask especially for Alan and Jill Esam and Colin White in their visit now, that they would be both blessed and a blessing. We remember David and Binny Makia in India. Thank you for enabling Neil and Liz to visit them. Please continue to keep them safe as they travel. Bless their time together, that David and Binny and Neil and Liz would all be encouraged by the visit. Would you especially draw near to the Turtons? Give them comfort as they grieve the death of Liz's mom, Jane. Thank you for Jane's faith. Please guide the preparations for the funeral on November 5th, that it would be honoring to you and a comfort to those who attend. Thank you for the opportunity that Barbara and John Is may have to visit Tenabu and Bethanmanga in Senegal. Please guide their final preparations before they leave at the end of next week. Thank you for the provision of two laptops, various medical supplies, and other gifts that the Ismays will be taking. Please allow everything to get through customs and to be used to bless many in that community. May the visit be a great encouragement to the Manga family and to the Ismays. Closer to home, we thank you for having a hand on this nation. We see how desperately we need wise leadership to deal with the many issues troubling our people. Please guide those in government to accomplish your will. Use these difficulties to cause many to turn to you as the only solid source of hope. Thank you also for caring for each individual. We pray that you would have your healing hand on Leslie Pearson, recovering from a recent operation. We celebrate your gift of a son, baby Henry, to James and Catherine Groves. Please bless them as new parents and give them the joy of seeing Henry come to saving faith at an early age for your glory. We remember John Billet preaching this morning at Storrington Chapel in Sussex. Would you fill him with the Holy Spirit to preach faithfully and compellingly? And as we come to your word now, have your hand on Isabel as she reads to us and on Saab as he preaches, that they would be clear and compelling. Give us ears to hear that we might grow in faith and in our love for you. Lord, if there are any here who do not yet know you as Savior and Lord, would you be pleased to use this time to bring them to saving faith for their joy and your glory? We ask all these things coming to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. So the reading today is 1 John verses 28 through to uh, verse 24 in uh, chapter 3, sorry. And it's on page 1226 in the Church Bibles. And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, 
and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions in truth and in truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask, because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Those who obey his commands live in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Thank you for God's word. Isabel, thank you so much uh, for reading for us this morning. Uh, Be great help to me if you can keep uh, that passage open before you. Uh, as we journey through it. uh, But before we start, uh, let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, the certainty of the truths that you have revealed to us. Father, we do thank you that your word uh, is sweeter on the tongue than honey. I pray that uh, you would uh, quicken our minds, that you would soften our hearts, and that you would open our ears, that we might hear you speak to us this morning. Prompt us by your spirit and through your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, We're continuing our series uh, this morning through uh, John's uh, letter, 1 John. And I want to start this morning with a question. Is Christianity for good people? That's our question. Is Christianity for good people? Uh, Imagine you've been praying for a friend of yours uh, that they might, who, who's not a Christian, you've been praying that they would uh, come to you uh, and uh, ask you uh, big questions. And one day you happen to be uh, standing uh, in a lift just about to push the button to go up four floors. And she asked this question, is Christianity for good people? Just as you press it to go up five stories. And the question is, you've got about 30 seconds what would you say? What would you say to that question? Now, our friends uh, who uh, may be far from uh, Christian things uh, might say that being a Christian has something to do with Jesus. He's in the mix. And that in some way it has something to do with kind of being, uh, being good. Uh, and uh, that's what Christians are supposed to do is God is pleased with those people uh, who are good. And so our friends think that as long as they're doing good things, uh, whatever that is, that in some way God will be pleased with them. And sadly, that's a line of thinking that's moved uh, into churches uh, up and down the land. So to help us uh, uh, be equipped to answer this particular question, uh, our our reading this morning from John gives us a, a wonderful truth about what it means to be a Christian. He tells us this. It's a one-point sermon. We are children of God. Just one point. We are children of God. Now, many years ago, when uh, Karen and I were in Godalming, uh, where we lived, uh, one of Karen's uh, uh, friends was out on a walk with her, and Karen uh, said, well, you know, why don't you uh, come along on Sunday uh, to church and uh, see, what it's, see what it's all about? And her friend uh, looked at her and said, oh, my word, no, I couldn't possibly... I'm, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough to go to church. And when I've run uh, courses uh, with people who aren't Christians and they're exploring the Christian faith, uh, one of the biggest challenges that people have is where does being nice or where does doing good things fit in Christianity? Uh, they might say, uh, it's the good things that I do It's the good things that I do that please God. And that belief is, it's a cultural view as well. It's based on the view that our love, the love that we receive, is conditional, right? It's conditional that if I'm good, if I comply, if I achieve, then I'll be loved. If I achieve, then I'll be loved. The love that we have seems to be conditional. And that's the operating system for the whole world. That happens uh, in, uh, in our work lives. It's very obvious there, isn't it? You know, if you meet your sales target, then you'll get a bonus. 
Yeah? If you're pleasant to your colleagues, then you'll become the employee of the month. It's there in our schools. Uh, if you work hard and if you're helpful to your teacher, uh, then you'll be a prefect, someone worthy of praise. And so it's obvious in the workplace, it's obvious in the schools, but it also creeps into our homes. It creeps into our homes, uh, particularly with our children. And, and the way that we behave with them can start to train them and teach them that love is conditional. If you tidy up your room, then you can have your friends around. If you eat your dinner, then you can have pudding. If you do your homework, then you can go out to play. If you come to church, then you can watch TV. If you get the grades in your exams, then we'll give you holiday slash money slash affection. And that same mentality of love being conditional bleeds into all of our ways of thinking and actually into all of our relationships. That if we do certain things, then we'll be loved. And so many of our non-Christian friends go through life uh, looking to be loved and to be known. And for our young people, and for some of us older folks as well, uh, social media is the most ruthless place where this balance of being known and loved is played out. Our young people are desperate, aren't they, for the approval and admiration of others. Uh, so their lives are carefully curated, perfect pictures of locations, of meals, of people to suggest that they're popular. But then they're absolutely savaged by the same people when they don't fit in. The love that social media shows is a love that is conditional. And that's what our children are being trained in every day. So when our non-Christian friends come to look at the Christian faith, they think that the love of God must also be conditional. The good things of God come to those who have obeyed and done the right things. Because that's how the world works. That's how every other religion works. But Christianity is different. But the trouble is that sometimes people come to church for years and years, for decades even, and they never quite see Christianity clearly. I was chatting to uh, an elderly couple um, a couple of weeks ago uh, about this very thing. Uh, and they would have said that they knew something uh, about what Christianity uh, was about. And I then gave them a diagram. And I said, here are three images. Can you please put them into an order that reflects the Christian faith? Three images, put them in an order that reflects the Christian faith. And the three things were... Good works, yeah? Behave, be moral, Ten Commandments, be nice to people. Uh, good works. You're saved. God looks at you and he, his affection and his love is poured out upon you and you are known by him. Thirdly, Christ died. Okay? Good works, salvation, Christ died. Question, what's the right order for Christians? What is the right order for those three things? Well, this couple said this, good works, and so I've got to do good works, I've got to behave, I've got to obey, um, I've got to be nice, uh, and Jesus died. Those two things together, I'm saved. That 
they think that that is the Christian message. Friends, that, that I'm sure many of you know, but that is not Christianity. That is moralism. That's religion. That's advice. That is not good news. So to help us, let's take a look at what John says uh, about this. Have a look with me at verse 29. He says this. Uh, if you know that he is righteous... You know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. Uh, John tells us that the doing of what is right, the good works, if you like, uh, if, um, they are done by those who have been born of God. The good works come from those who have been born of God. The good works are not the things that save us. The good works are the evidence that we have been saved. So looking at those pictures again, I think the right order is going to look like this. Jesus died. God sent his only son because we were so far from being uh, able to save ourselves. We're unable to rescue ourselves. We're unable to make our relationship with God right. So God sent his only son to pay the price for our rebellion. And that by trusting in what God has done in and through Christ, we are saved. We've done nothing at this point other than repent and turn back and trust. God has done everything else. That is good news we've been saved as a very bright line yeah that is the work of god in us to move us from death to life we have been saved in the knowledge of that knowing that we have been saved at such a cost it means our lives then respond to what god has done for us we look into our own hearts we see the sin And we're eager to put that to death because we know that Christ came to pay for that. We see other people in need and we're eager to live, to to help them, uh, to respond to their needs because we know that God loves them too. Good works come out of a knowledge that we have been saved. The motivation for doing the good works is out of what God has already done. It is not a way of working your way back up the diagram in order to be saved. The crown that we wear has been given to us. It tells us that love, that God's love, is not conditional. It is completely unconditional. So many of the loves in the world are conditional, aren't we? We've talked about that. But the love of God is not And that is a truth that we need to take into the very core of our being. Take a look with me at uh, 3 verse 1. What does this mean that God has sent his son? John says, see what great love the father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. We're children of God. John John wants the truth of what God has done to penetrate to the very core of our being. 
to the hearts of all who would hear. John has told us that we've rebelled against the one true God, that we live in the brokenness of the world and the squalor of our rebellion against God. We were in a desperate place. But look at what John tells us. There's an explosion of joy. As John writes this, he says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us. Uh, the, the word see is, is, is too small a word. It comes from the same root as behold. Yeah, it's a, it's a wow. Wow. Look at that. It's a jaw-dropping moment when you see. And, and what is John showing us? He's showing us this, that God's love is not conditional. It's not performance-based. It's not for those who think themselves worthy. It's a great love that's been settled and fixed on those who've been rebelling against him. It's a love that seeks, it chases, and it will not give up. One theologian uh, wrote this. He said, God loves the sinner not because he is drawn to them by their lovableness, but because in spite of humanity's unloveliness, God sets his mind and will on seeking humanity's highest good. This is what is amazing about God's love. It's not a love that comes and seeks out the good people, but those in need of rescue. It's a love that breaks upon those who say to God, there is nothing that I can do to be worthy of your love for me. It's a love that settles on those who have the humility to say, I bring nothing to the king. On those who see that they can't make themselves right with God, that only God can do that through Christ. And for the humble of heart, it's a love that longs to raise us up from the greatest depth to the highest of highs. It's not just a love that pays the price for our rebellion, but it's a love that is strong enough, deep enough, powerful enough to raise us from having been enemies of God to being children of God. But the only way that you and I could be made children of God, what the theologian called our highest good, was by God sending his one and only son into the world to pay the price for our rebellion. The true son Dying for you and for me in our place, the rebels, so that we could become children of God. Our greatest good at God's greatest cost. And this wasn't something that God did begrudgingly, reluctantly, or hesitantly. No, he lavished, he lavished his love On you and on me. In love God sent his son. And in love for you and me the son came willingly. And John tells us that when we believe that there is. um, When we believe in what God has done for us. That there's a change in status. That we come to be children of God. We move from enemy to child. To children of God. Does your heart skip a beat? When you think about that. For those who believe that is what we are. Children of God. 
Uh, we've given thanks this morning, haven't we, for the birth of little Henry to Catherine and to James. Uh, and some of you here this morning, you've been parents uh, too. Think about the way parents love their children. Uh, when you see your child, your heart just fills with love, with joy, and with wonder, doesn't it? Uh, your eyes are drawn to your child. You never seem to tire of just looking at your child. All of your efforts, all of your resources, all of your energies are turned toward your child. There is nothing that you wouldn't give for them. And John says, this is staggering, for those who believe and trust in Jesus, that's how God sees you and that's how God sees me. When you think of the creator of the universe looking at you, Like that, does your heart skip a beat? Does your heart skip a beat? And as we meditate on those truths, that those who believe are children of God, then we're able to respond. And and, and what is our response to be? Uh, John tells us this in uh, chapter 2, verse 29, that we do what is right. That this is the one way that we know that we have been born into the family of God. That we respond by doing what is right. We respond by loving God and by loving our neighbor. We love the one who has rescued us and brought us into his family. And we love the people that God loves. And we'll live in the light of the most extraordinary love that's been shown to us. A love that is truly unconditional. A love that is not based on performance. So we can be long-suffering with others. Uh, We love people the world thinks are unlovable. Those that don't meet the standards that society sets. Or those who can do nothing for us. Those who don't have any currency, any power or standing. And we can love people when they've let us down and when they've hurt us. And we can do this because we know that God loved us even when our performance was never going to make the grade. God was long-suffering toward us. We were rebels. God sent his son. We brought nothing to God. And God's son laid down his life. And he did that so that we could be with him through all eternity. Can Can I just encourage you today, this week, to meditate on those truths? Could you please pray those truths? Pray those truths. Think and dwell upon what God has done. The certainty of his love for you. Pray those truths until they are white hot in your heart. And as you do that, bring to mind the promises that God has made to you and to me, to believers... The promises that he has made that are yours as children of God. Uh, Helen did a a poll a few months ago, um, just inviting people to share some of the promises uh, that were special and precious uh, to people. Let me just do five here very, very quickly. Uh, One is uh, Deuteronomy 31.8. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. That's a 
that's a, a promise of protection, a promise of comfort. Psalm 23, 4, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God's love, uh, Lamentations 3.22. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God's assurance. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. This is from John 10. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Finally, one of grace. 1 Peter 1 3. Praise be to praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Uh, you know, I, these are just five random promises. Uh, but I wonder what are the promises? What are the promises that God has made in his word to you as a child that you find most encouraging? That's the question I want us to think about at the end of the service today. What are the promises that God has made to you as a child for you at this moment in this season that you find most encouraging? And to the extent that through prayer you submit to God's love and you really meditate on those promises, God will set your heart on fire for him. And it will transform your lives It will allow you to have life and to have life in all of its fullness. Because as you pray, as you reflect, as you meditate and bring God's promises into the very core of who you are, you'll have four things that you need to journey well through life. Four things that you need. Firstly, you need to have an identity that is unshakable. Okay, and that is you are a child of God. Uh, You need to have purpose and meaning for your life that's not driven by cultural shifts and whims of others. We live to glorify God and to enjoy him. Thirdly, you'll have the strength to journey through suffering and pain without despair because God will never abandon his children. He'll be with them in their trials. And fourthly, you'll have a hope that forms and fills your life now but will also carry you safely through death because death is not the end. As Jesus was raised, we too will be raised. I wonder which of those four things, those four aspects of identity, purpose, strength in trial or hope, which of those four are you not seeing in your own lives at the moment? Pray that God will help you see those. Again, Live in the courage, live with the courage that as he reveals them to you, that you can step out into those truths. As we live as children of God, we'll live differently to the way that the world calls people to live. Take a look at the rest of uh, 3.1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Uh, John tells us that as children of God, the world will just not know us. Literally, that the world will not comprehend us. Uh, in, a lo- in a world where love is conditional, they will not understand people who display love as being unconditional. 
it will make no sense to them. It really will not make sense to them. So when people look at our lives, we should look different from our non-Christian friends. Our lives should not be what the world expects. It should be clear to them that as Christians, we are marching to the beat of a different drum. I'm sure you guys have been to parties, weddings, uh, or other such celebrations where there's a disco. Uh, Some place where dads dance rather awkwardly, and the young people seem to have a sense of rhythm and can follow the beat no matter how strange it is. Uh, And if you're like me, you'd rather be at a safe distance from all of that shouting, a place where you can be heard quietly. Uh, But at our children's weddings, they had no option but to be there in the midst of the melee. Uh, The music was too loud for my liking, and we were there on the dance floor. And everyone was dancing, myself included, to the beat of the music that the DJ was playing. Everyone could hear it, everyone could see it, and everybody was dancing in tune to that beat. But being a Christian in the world isn't like that moment where you're on the disco floor with everyone else all listening to the music being played by the DJ through loudspeakers. It's more like this. Being a Christian is like being at a disco, but we're dancing to the beat of a different song. A song that's coming through headphones. It's a silent disco. I don't know if you've ever been to a silent disco. Yeah, the DJ's playing tunes, but the Christians have got, they've got their own headphones on. And they're dancing to a different tune. So we as Christians, we've got headphones on and we're listening to the music of heaven, the voice of God, the desires of God's heart, God's calling on our lives. That's what we're listening to. That's what's coming through on our headphones. And we're dancing to the beat of God's heart But our non-Christian friends who haven't got their headphones on, they just cannot comprehend the rhythm. We're dancing to a beat they cannot hear. And as our non-Christian friends look on, as they look at our lives, our speech, our compassion, our search for justice, they should see our lives if you dance, if you dance the way that God calls us to dance. They should at least look on and they should want to pick up the headphones and listen. To listen to the music that causes our hearts to sing. That causes our lives to be radically, radically different. And I just wonder, it's a good question for us, isn't it? I just wonder, is the dance of our lives so appealing, so intriguing that as our non-Christian friends look on, that they are eager to ask us for the reason, for the hope that we have, to grab those headphones and listen to the sound of the gospel for themselves. So that's us as children. But before I close, I want to look uh, briefly at one other verse. Take a look with me at 1 John 3, 9. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. Always a a verse that causes us to shuffle awkwardly in our seats, isn't it? And we open with a question, a hypothetical question that a friend would ask us uh, in the lift. Is being a Christian only for good people? 
uh, and you read that verse and you think, hmm. So when I stubbed my toe this morning and an expletive popped out, does that mean I should doubt my salvation? Or because I got really cross with my children this morning or I um, abused another road user, hmm, does that mean I'm not a child of God? This is not what this verse means, okay? Uh, We've got to remember that this is a letter that John wrote to encourage the church. It's a corrective also against a false teaching. Uh, If you turn back to 1 John, chapter 1, uh, verse 9, uh, John tells us there, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all righteousness. If we confess our sins, God will forgive us our sins. It's not that we never sin, but when we do, we have forgiveness. The false teachers, however, were telling the church it was possible to be a child of God and to still have a life marked by sin and rebellion against God. But John says that the Christian lives, the lives of the church, are going to be marked by a desire to live for God. Their lives will be shaped by a desire to seek after God and to live how he calls us to live. That the mark of the children of God uh, is that they will long to live for God and long to live the way that he calls us to live. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect now. This doesn't mean that we will never make a mistake. Uh, One theologian put it like this. He said that from time to time we will fall off the horse and into sin. But the Christian born of God will never walk in sin. In other words, our lives will, uh, will not be marked by a steady, relentless, unyielding and persistent rejection, an unrepentant rejection of God. Someone who doesn't acknowledge God and lives any way they want, they, John says, have not been born of God. For the Christian, John is telling them that from time to time, every day, we will stumble, that we will slip off the horse. But as children of God, our desire, our deepest desire will be to get back on the horse. It will not be to walk in the ways against God's calling on our lives. It will not be to walk in the ways of sin. So two things will be clear in the, lives, in the life of a believer, of those who have been born of God. Firstly, the direction, the trend of our lives will be shaped by a desire to follow God more and more. Month by month, year by year, decade by decade. And we'll spend more and more time reflecting on God's character and on God's loves. Our hearts will just ache to be more and more like God's son, to be more and more like Jesus. Now, perhaps one of the things that you could do over the coming weeks is just to ask yourself that question. Am I, am I becoming more and more like Jesus? Am I slower to anger than I used to be a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago? Is there a heart of compassion that's growing within me? Am I less anxious? Am I less worried? Now, hopefully, uh, we and those who are near us will be able to say to us and you know, point out the areas where we are growing, and that'll be a great encouragement to us. Secondly, when we get things wrong, when we sin, when we fall off the horse, it will break our heart. That will be the overriding emotion. 
knowing that we've saddened our Father in heaven, that will cut us to our heart. See, our motive for obeying God, for living for God, isn't fear. It's love. It's love for God, the one who sent his son to die for us. And if we can see just how much God loves us, when we make a mistake, our hearts will break. Our motivation for not sinning becomes the desire to be shaped by the one who has rescued us, the one who made us children. And as we see those two things, uh, we'll grow in the confidence that we are indeed children of God, that we have been saved. And as John puts it in uh, chapter 5, verse 13 of this letter, he says that we would know with certainty, we would know that we have eternal life. Now, we opened with a question uh, this morning from a, a lady in the lift. What might you have said to her? Or we might try something like this. We can say that as Christians, we are flawed and imperfect, but we're also joy-filled and hope-filled. Because Christianity isn't about being good people. It's about being God's children because of what God has done for us in and through Jesus. Would you like me to tell you more about that over a coffee? Bing. So Christians, remember who you are. You are dearly loved children of God. Meditate on that truth this week. And let that truth set your hearts on fire. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we do thank you for uh, this amazing truth. Uh, that For those who believe, who trust in what you have done for us in and through the Lord Jesus. Uh, that we become your children. We have the right to be born again. Uh, Father, I pray that uh, uh, you would uh, stir our hearts this morning with that truth. Uh, encourage us with the truth of what it means for you as our Heavenly Father uh, to have set your love upon us. Uh, help us uh, uh, to shake off the disbelief. Help us to embrace the truth uh, that uh, all of our sin, all of our rebellion and rejection has been paid for by Christ. And I pray that as we meditate and reflect on that truth, that our hearts would be ablaze with love for you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now that does bring us uh, uh, to the end of our service uh, this morning. And my prayer is the Lord's spoken to you as you've journeyed through the service this morning. And if that's the case, uh, please do pray uh, with the person that, uh, that you came with um, or grab uh, me or somebody else. It would be a delight, a joy and a privilege uh, to be able to pray with you uh, this morning. Uh, some words of encouragement uh, from Paul uh, in his doxology, sorry, from Jude in his doxology, uh, writes this. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.